Well, as we finish up our series in the Psalms, like Seth mentioned, we're going to be in Psalm uh, 23. So if you've got your Bible, go ahead and flip there now. Uh, You may want to also uh, flip to John chapter 10. Uh, You can do what I'm doing and use these cards that nobody ever uses to stick in your Bible uh, for uh, John chapter 10. We're going to be there, Lord willing, in about 27 minutes. Uh, So we'll see how that goes. Uh, But Psalm 23 is one of those psalms that has spoken to generations of Christians for what are most often their darkest moments. And we've got a great chance to spend some time thinking about it, considering it this morning. As we do, as we start off, I'd like to ask you to think about uh, your last year, maybe your last couple of years. We've been doing that corporately this morning. I'd invite you to do that personally for a moment. And I wonder, did your last year go like you expected it to? Or did you have some unexpected twists and turns? Did you have some ups, some downs, maybe some disappointments that you weren't anticipating? If you did, and you're like the rest of us, or if you're like me anyway, then what I think might surprise you is that Psalm 23 is a wonderful comfort to your soul. See, Psalm 23 has one idea. It's not hard to find. It comes right at the beginning. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. And all of its six verses are dedicated to understanding that one idea, that the Lord is my shepherd. And the reason I say that might surprise you to recognize that it's a comfort is first, Psalm 23 is not only a funeral psalm. I think so many of us are used to hearing it at the worst moments in our lives that it might not strike us that it's relevant. The other thing is that I'm not sure how often in our modern era where we consider ourselves so intellectually and technologically advanced that we often consider that what we need is a farmer who takes care of sheep. But if David, uh, who wrote this psalm and was himself, by the way, a shepherd, is right, that the Lord is our shepherd, then I think we have an opportunity to connect with that in a new way and consider how important it is to recognize that we need a shepherd and we have one in the Lord. That's how we're going to spend our time this morning. To do that, I'm going to frame our time using three questions that I've printed for us here The first question that we're going to ask of this text is, what do we know about this shepherd anyway? Who is he? What does he do? The next question is, where is this shepherd leading us? And then finally, how do we know that we can trust the shepherd? So three questions. What do we know about the shepherd? Where is he leading us? And how do we know we can trust him? If you have found uh, Psalm 23, would you please stand in honor of God's word? while I read for us. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 
Amen. You may be seated. Okay, so three questions. Psalm 23. We're going to spend the most time on the first one, which is what do we know about this shepherd? And I've laid out three answers to that question. The first is that he's infinite and personal. The second is that he provides what we need. And then finally, what do we know about this shepherd? Is that he watches over us. So let's start with infinite and personal. This psalm starts with a bang. I don't know if you are reading slowly enough to catch it, because if you're like me, I'm all the way to the valley of the shadow of death before I really start to consider what's happening. But in the first five words of Psalm 23, we go from zero to 60. And it's because, it's because it puts two really important ideas together. One is that God is infinite, and he is also our personal shepherd. It's kind of a surprising profession for the Lord of the universe when you think about it, to be a farmer who takes care of sheep. But that's exactly what it says, and it's really good news for us. When you read the word, the Lord, or the words, the Lord, and it's written in all capital letters, anywhere you see that in your Bible, that is calling us to remember a really specific name for God. It means Yahweh. There are lots of names of God in the Bible. Each of them are meant for us to understand something of his nature, something that's true about him. And Yahweh is no different. Yahweh is God's personal name. It's a proper name, actually, like Jim or Bill or Jacob. It's his actual name. He gives it to himself in the Old Testament. When it's the burning bush scene, maybe you remember it uh, from Exodus chapter 3. Moses is in exile, and God comes to him in a bush burning, and he says to Moses, go back into Egypt and tell Pharaoh, who is the strongest king in the world, hey, let my people go. And Moses says, who should I say sent me? And God says, I am who I am. I am send you. That's what Yahweh means. Yahweh means I am. It's meant to bring to mind his infiniteness. It's meant to bring to mind his self-existence and self-reliance. It means that he's never changing. It means that he's powerful. Of course, our history with Yahweh doesn't end at the burning bush. We see this infinite God as a faithful God to his people time and time again. He takes his people out of captivity He parts the Red Sea. He walks with them in the wilderness in a pillar of smoke and and fire. He brings them into the promised land. He gives them kings. And he saves for himself a remnant of people when they're in exile. This is a God who is faithful to his promises even when we're faithless. It's not a mistake. It's not as if David just picked out, uh, let me pick a name for God here that I like. He's reminding us, Yahweh is our shepherd. The other amazing thing in this first five words is that Yahweh, the self-existent, constant, never-changing, infinite God, puts himself 
in the position of your personal shepherd. It says, Yahweh is my shepherd. Let me take uh, a worldly example for a minute to illustrate how important this is. And I'm going to do it by way of contrast. So think for a moment about a general. A general who is in charge of many armies. It is his responsibility to know what is best for his soldiers. He makes decisions with their best interests in mind. But he can't possibly know all of them. He can't know their names, where they're from, let alone their most intimate and deepest desires of their hearts. Not so with Yahweh. When it says that he is your personal shepherd, it means that he is putting himself in position to be your personal pastor, to care for your soul. Charles Spurgeon writes this. I'm going to give you the abridged version. It doesn't say that the Lord is the shepherd of the world at large and leads forth the multitude as his flock. But Yahweh is my shepherd. If he is a shepherd to no one else, he is a shepherd to me. He cares for me. He watches over me and preserves me. Whatever is the believer's position, he is even now under the pastoral care of Yahweh. He is infinite, and he is your personal shepherd. And the reason that this is good news is because every single promise that we're about to read in Psalm 23 is dependent on this God who is infinite and faithful and your shepherd. He is going to lead you to green pastures. He's going to walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death. He's going to restore your soul. He's going to prepare a table for you. And surely you're going to dwell in his house forever. It's really good news that this is Yahweh who's in charge of this because nobody else is up to the task. Nobody else could deliver on the promises of Psalm 23 except for Yahweh. Put another way, the successful pastoring of your soul does not depend on people. It depends on the God who made people. The successful pastoring of your soul doesn't depend on you. It depends on a God who is faithful to his promises time and time again. And here's what I want you to know, friends. God isn't going to disappoint you. He is a faithful God. That's who he is. He's been that way forever. He's not going to start turning his back on his people with you in 2018. God will deliver. He will not disappoint you. He is infinite, and he is faithful, and he is your personal shepherd. Psalm 23 starts with a bang. The Lord is my shepherd. We also know of him some important things in his shepherding role. He is your shepherd, but what does he do as your shepherd? The first thing that I'll say about that is that he provides what you need. Take a look at verse 2. It says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Those are relatively ordinary shepherding responsibilities, right? He provides for your soul. He gives you what you need. Look at verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you're with me. 
your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That's an interesting phrase if you don't know much about shepherding, if you're a city boy like I am. Uh, The rod is meant to beat off attacking uh, predators. And the staff is like the little Bo Peep thing that pulls the sheep in when they wander off or are going to fall off a cliff or something, right? So the point is, God is promising to protect you. God says, I'm your shepherd, I'm going to provide for you, and I'm going to protect you. And that is remarkably comforting. But I think there's a deeper layer here that we can't afford to miss. There's a deeper layer because when you start to meditate on Psalm 23 for any length of time, verse 2 can actually be problematic at first. Read it again. It says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. That is a beautiful picture of rest. That is a beautiful picture of provision. But does anybody actually feel like they're in green pastures and still waters? I mean, we live in America, in the most abundant land there has ever been, and I don't know anybody who feels like they're in green pastures and still waters. We look around the city and we see people who are suffering in poverty. We look around the world and we see people who are being persecuted for their faith, and I'm like, okay, God, I'm ready for the green pastures and the still waters. Where are you? See, that's a tension that you're going to have to wrestle with when you start to meditate on this psalm, and I think the Um, deeper level that we want to unpack is the key to understanding it. Because the psalm doesn't have any uh, misconceptions that that's how life is, right? I mean, just two verses from now, it's going to say, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the psalm gets that life is hard. So what's the deal with the green pastures then? And I think the problem comes, actually, when we focus on the circumstances of the sheep and not on the relationship between the shepherd and the sheep. Let me tell you what I mean. The key to this comes in verse 2 when it says, he makes me lie down. That's something that you might uh, have a tendency to just speed right by. He makes me lie down. See, a sheep only lies down when it is unafraid, when it is not anxious, when it is totally confident and secure. And the only thing that makes a sheep lie down is the presence of the shepherd. So if a sheep wanders into green pastures with still waters by itself, it's not going to lie down because it knows it is still susceptible to a wolf coming. It knows that it can trip and fall into those still waters and drown. The presence of the still waters in the green pastures are not what gives the believer rest. It's the presence of the shepherd that makes us lie down. And it's the same exact thing that gives us comfort in the valley of the shadow of death. Look at it with me again, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. It doesn't say only when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It says even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death you are with me. It means whether I am in green pastures with still waters or I'm walking in the darkest valley, the thing that provides me rest and comfort is the presence of the shepherd. In other words, friends, you are not alone. God is with you. And if you've had one of those years where it has been hard to see the light, that suffering has been clouding 
your life where doubt or disbelief or shame or guilt, if those things are weighing on you, then I know that you feel alone. Because that's what those things do. They make you think, nobody could possibly understand me. Nobody could provide comfort to me in this situation because nobody's ever been what I've gone through. Those moments make you see only the disappointments in your friends, don't they? But just as God is not going to disappoint you, he will never abandon you, even when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He is with you, and he will comfort you. If it's possible, uh, it gets better. So uh, we know that God is infinite and personal. We know that the shepherd provides what we need. And we know, finally, that he is actively watching over us. Take a look at verse 3 for a minute says, he restores my soul. Don't you want that? I mean, of all the things in Psalm 23 that I want, this is it. I want my soul to be restored. I long for that. You see, a, a sheep has this problem when it falls onto its back. Something strange with the circulation in its legs and the gases in its stomach. When a sheep falls onto its back, it's as good as dead. And a really good shepherd is constantly watching over the flock, counting them, looking to see, is the sheep turned upside down? And when the sheep is turned upside down, the shepherd goes and restores it. That's the word there. It's a double meaning word. It's a farm animal word. It means to turn the animal right side up again. And it implies an active, careful watching over. See, because the image is not a pretty one of a sheep on its back knowing that it's dying. It's struggling and anxious and kicking, fighting to survive. And here's the wonderful comfort. See, if your soul feels like that, which, by the way, it will if it hasn't yet, this is not something that we're talking about for non-believers here. God does restore the hearts of non-believers, but here he's talking about Christians. Here he's talking about his flock, and he's recognizing the point that all of our souls have a tendency to get turned upside down. And it's all the usual suspects, isn't it? It's money, it's selfishness, it's uh, position in life, it's anxiety, it's fear, it's guilt. You know the list. You know what it is that turns your soul upside down. And the promise of Psalm 23 is that Yahweh, who is your shepherd, is watching over you, he's with you, and he is going to restore your soul. He will turn your soul right side up again. And so, friends, I think the rallying cry of Psalm 23 is, the Lord is my shepherd. But, of course, that 
sentence doesn't end there, does it? It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. What that means is, if the infinite personal God is my personal shepherd, and if he is with me even in the valley of the shadow of death, and if he provides for me and protects me and restores my soul, then how could I ever need anything else? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. You see, God promises to provide for our souls. He promises to give us exactly what we need, and what we need is him. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, is a statement of rest and contentment. It's a statement of total assurance that what you have is what you need because God has placed his name and his reputation and his character toward the ends of providing for your soul. And so I think a really important exercise for you is to ask yourself, what do I feel like I need? What do I feel like I lack? It's a question to ask in your small groups. Are we consistently and fundamentally satisfied in God? And if not, why not? Take that opportunity with each other. Invite somebody out to lunch and ask them to speak into your life. Think about it. Find rest in the shepherding of Yahweh. Encourage each other in that. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The second question that we want to ask of the text today is not only what do we know about this shepherd, but where is this shepherd leading us? Where is the shepherd leading us? Uh, And I like it when uh, it's really straightforward and simple declarative sentences like in verse 2 and verse 3, he leads me in paths of righteousness. Where is he leading us? In paths of righteousness. So what does that mean? Another translation might say he leads me in right paths. And in the shepherd and sheep analogy, what that means is that he's taking you on paths that are sure. You want to get to that meadow on the other side? He knows you've got to go to the left and not to the right. You want to go around that mountain pass? He knows that that bridge isn't going to collapse. You've got to cross the river. He knows that at this point, it's shallow enough, you're not going to get swept away. He leads you in sure paths, in right paths. When you think about us in our lives, what it means is he's going to lead you in paths that are pleasing to him. He's going to lead you in paths that honor him. And so you, do you have a big decision that you're facing right now? Or have you recently made one and you're wondering if you made the right call? Right? Are you thinking about a job? Or something that's going on at school? Or a relationship that matters to you? Are you thinking about whether to get out of a relationship or to get into a relationship? Thinking about moving? These are the kinds of things that God promises to lead us in right paths over. He is the shepherd of your life. He is leading you. Friends, that's really comforting because I think life often feels like it's out of control. I think life often feels like we just can't get a handle on it and make things go the way we want them to. Like you're white-knuckling the steering wheel of your life, not sure whether you're going to turn left or right at the upcoming fork and you don't know which way to go and you're about to hit the mountain, right? Because you can't decide. 
What this psalm says is the Lord is going to lead you in paths of righteousness that honor him in this life. Now, it doesn't get at how. We have lots of other places in the Bible that we turn to to find practical wisdom for how to live a life that's pleasing to him. But I think it gets at the why, the promise that he is going to lead you. And so that means when you are facing the kind of decision in your life where you're wondering whether to turn to the left or the right, the question you need to be asking is, in this moment, how do I honor God the most? You need to go to him and say, lead me in right paths, Lord. Your word says you do. It says he leads us in right paths in this life. But also... Also, he's leading us to a final destination. He's leading us to a final destination that in verse 6 says that we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He is leading us towards eternal satisfaction and the presence of God in heaven, in his house. The um, analogy in verse 5 is meant to show us that. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. There we actually are leaving the sheep and the shepherd metaphor for a moment. And we're coming to a metaphor of a host and a house guest. In this image, the Lord is the host. He is preparing a table before you, a victory celebration. And when you come, he anoints your head with oil. It is a measure of an honored guest to receive that type of refreshment. And he hands you a cup that overflows. I don't think it's by mistake that it comes after the valley of the shadow of death. I don't think it's by mistake that it's after we've considered the deepest, darkest moments in our life that we see this picture of total and wonderful satisfaction at a victory feast in the Lord's house in eternity. But you know what I think is amazing about that? Is I don't think it's the cup or the oil that give us that satisfaction. I mean, when I go to a dinner party, the food is good. But it's the host that I love. The fact that they've gone out of their way to clean their house and make a meal for me. The fact that they've gone out of their way to give me that kind of honor. So I think the cup that God gives us when we get to heaven is going to be good. But it's going to pale in comparison to the fact that we are with him and that he has prepared a table before us. We are going to love him for the provision and satisfaction that he gives us. And so therein we see the deepest source of contentment both in this life and in heaven, and that is that God is with us. He promises to be with you to make you lie down in the green pastures and the still waters. He promises to walk with you, leading you in paths of righteousness. He promises to restore your soul. He promises that he's leading you to a final destination of heaven, of eternity, in his home, of deep satisfaction, because he is with you. I think that's what you need to remember, folks. He's not going to disappoint you because he's Yahweh and he's with you. That's what it means, the Lord is my shepherd. And so I think the last question is, 
How do we know we can trust him? How do we know that we can trust this shepherd to deliver on his promises? Well, the first part of that answer comes in verse 3. We've read it already, and I've hinted at it. It says, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. In other words, Yahweh is staking his reputation on his ability to shepherd your soul. So sheep are not the most intelligent uh, of animals. And when they fall off a cliff or drown or get eaten by a wolf, the townspeople don't shake their heads and say, oh, those silly sheep. They say, what a terrible shepherd. Right? It means that the successful shepherding of the sheep depends on the nature and abilities of the shepherd. And we're talking about Yahweh. And he is staking his own name, his reputation, on your successful pastoring through this life into heaven. How can we trust him? We trust him because it's not in his nature to fail. We can trust him because he's staking his name, the name of Yahweh, on pastoring you. But I think there's actually another reason that we can look to, to see why we can trust this good shepherd. And it's because of Jesus. We have the benefit of reading this psalm in light of what Jesus has already done and said. And so, if you have kept John chapter 10 using your uh, guide, turn there now. Let's take a look. John chapter 10, verse 11 is where we're going to start. I'm going to read for us from 11 through 15. I am the good shepherd. This is Jesus speaking. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. How could Jesus not have had Psalm 23 in mind when he was saying he was the good shepherd? Do you see what it says? It says that he knows you. That we know him, that he is with us. He's the good shepherd, and he lays down his life for the sheep. So he makes a really interesting comparison between a hired hand who sees the wolf coming and takes off running and the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Now, I think if you were listening at the time, you might have had a healthy degree of skepticism over what Jesus was saying. You might have thought, okay, Jesus, put your money where your mouth is, We'll believe it when we see it. You go ahead and lay down your life because sheep aren't worth it. They're not worth it. They're nothing. You say you're the good shepherd, so go ahead. And you see, the point is, Jesus did lay down his life for you. He already did it. He already died because of our sin. He already died to save us from ourselves. And so in that, he has proved his resolve to care for us. 
He has proved that he is the good shepherd. And if he has already given you his life, then how is he going to hold back any other good thing? He died so that your soul could be restored. He died so that he could provide for you. He died so that he would be with you. And just like nothing will ever separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus, so too nothing will ever separate you from the satisfaction that is yours in the shepherd. I think there is good reason that Psalm 23 ends with this beautiful doxology. If the Lord is my shepherd, then surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Friends, will you pray with me? Father, we need a shepherd because our lives are out of control and we are weak and our souls are upside down. Help us, Father, we pray. Help us to take comfort that you are with us. Help us to take comfort in your provision and your protection. Give us rest, we pray. And do not tarry, Lord. Come quickly that we might know the satisfaction that you promise us in heaven with you. We long for it and we need it. God, help us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.